Welcome to the Sermon Amp Podcast. We're going to be looking back today at the fourth of the seven woes of Jesus in Matthew 23. But stick around to the second segment of the podcast and you will hear an interview with Miss Jane Baird, wife of Dr. Jim Baird, pastor of First Presbyterian Church Jackson for many, many years. But first, let's go back and hear the sermon amp or amplification of Matthew 23, verses 23 and 24. Don't let the joke be about you. Jesus tells a joke, a kind of play on words, a kind of pun in the fourth woe of Matthew 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, such as justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. We know that this joke was devastating because it starts with the word woe unto you. That is a word of judgment. That is a word of warning. And it's a word of sadness about their hearts. But he doesn't begin with the joke. He begins with what's actually going on in their lives. God had commanded a tithe of the tenth of the produce of the land and the herds, etc., in Israel. But here were the Pharisees counting out the little dill leaves and the mint leaves and of the little potted plants in their kitchen windowsill, bringing this to the Lord. Oh, look how godly I am. I tithe down to my spices. This was not required by the law, and it certainly didn't cost much just to put a few leaves in your hand to, to bring for an offering. You were buying a big reputation of godliness on the cheap. And, you know, Jesus said you should tithe. That's a good thing. But you neglect the big things. And we'll talk about that in a minute. And then the joke. You strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. You know, gnats were in Leviticus mentioned as the smallest creature that was unclean that you didn't want to eat. And camels were the largest creatures in Israel that were unclean. And so it's interesting, as Jesus says, you strain out a gnat and you swallow a camel, swallowing a camel while straining out, while paying attention to the minor things, not majoring on the major things. Actually, the Aramaic words for gnat and camel, kalma and gamla, were very similar. And so it's kind of a play on words that Jesus gave, and they were laughing at the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were not pleased. You know, the camels at that day were kind of like our SUVs today. You know, a donkey like Jesus rode in on Jerusalem, onto Jerusalem, uh, that would be more like a passenger car. But the camel, you know, it's a big animal and tall and a, a smoother ride. You know, good road car, you know, what we say about these big SUVs. You, Pharisees, you hypocrites, you pay attention to the smallest things, but you strain them out, strain out the gnats. Don't want to accidentally uh, eat a gnat, but you swallow an SUV. I mean, it's kind of funny. Now, we don't have a tithing problem, I don't think, uh, here in our modern church, but you know, you can look so holy and know your theology, and you can be mean as a snake. 
You know, you can flat out not care about other people. You can care about the minutia of certain doctrines that are not unimportant, but they're secondary to the, what Jesus calls the weightier matters of the law. The smallest things for you are important, while the big things for other people are uninteresting to you. What's going on in people's lives? Uninteresting to you. What you do is okay. You explain it away. What others do, it's a big sin. You know, it's a superior kind of attitude that the Pharisees had. And uh, what's wrong with this? Some people are like this today. Being really godly and wanting to be known to be really godly, but being mad all the time. Talking Jesus while living in a super judgy way and not even seeing this SUV of your own judginess that you're just swallowing while you're pointing out all the picodillos of other people. Let's not be a joke, Jesus says. Let's live for the kingdom. Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. It's breaking in now. And how do you get the kingdom? Repent and believe the good news. Just believe that I am the Messiah. Receive me into your life. It's by grace. It's by receiving something, not by earning, not by working for it. And what does the grace, look, grace life look like? Jesus answered, it looks like loving the Lord your God and loving your neighbor. He actually answers it from Micah 6, 8 in this text. He roughly quotes, He has told you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, what the, the life looks like, but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Here's the way Jesus put it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe down to your mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the big things, the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You know, justice, mishpat, used over 200 times in the Old Testament, carries the idea of, of fairness, condemning or acquitting on the basis of the merits of the case, regardless of who you are. It means there's not one way of judging for one group of people and another way of judging for another. You get justice. You get a kind of equity through the justice system. But it also kind of carries this idea of giving people what God wants them to have, giving people their rights according to God's word. You know, there's a lot of injustice in our world today. We want to have fair courts, especially in the United States, in our democracy, where we want the rule of law and not the rule of men and the influence of men. But I think about abortion and how the rights of the unborn are just trampled on in this deadly injustice. I think about persecution of believers all throughout the world, and we can't seem to get people's attention uh, they, they tend to focus on the persecution of other people in the world, but the persecution of Christians does not seem to be that important. And then, of course, the big one over the last two years is prejudice and the mistreatment of people based on their race. That's happening all over the world. It's as old as the fall itself, and it's happening and has been happening here in the good old U.S. of A. I believe, as most people do, that um, there's been a lot of progress made in this area, but there's still a whole lot to be done. I know a lot of you are exhausted and frustrated with all this, but here's the point. Justice is something that is Jesus called the weightier matter of the law. We don't check out 
on justice. Mercy is just compassion and deeds of kindness to people in need. And faithfulness is where it all comes from. That's the love the Lord your God so that you can love your neighbor with justice and mercy. But here's what I want you to see. This mercy, justice, and faithfulness flows out of Jesus-centeredness. Think of it this way, lining up with what the scriptures teach by lining up with Jesus. Those are one and the same. We interpret the scriptures through the kingdom of God and through the Son of God and the plan of God where Christ is in the middle of the scriptures, in the middle of history, in the middle of our theology. The Pharisees lined up with the scripture. They taught the scriptures, but they didn't line up with Jesus or the kingdom. Do you? We need to see justice, mercy, and faithfulness in terms of Jesus and the kingdom. Because if Jesus is forward in our belief, in our understanding of God, in our way of acting, then we get kingdom. If Jesus is not forward, then we get Pharisees. And it's as simple as that. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Well, let me tell you something. We all are hypocrites, and we're all having to repent of being not like Jesus as God is, is working by the Holy Spirit to make us more like Jesus. I'm just so glad that Jesus was crucified by hypocrites, and he died for hypocrites. And we who have received mercy can be merciful. And we who have received the full satisfaction of the justice of God by Christ on the cross we can also give a grace-filled justice to others and love the Lord our God in order to love our neighbor. That's what kingdom faithfulness looks like. Don't let your life be a bad joke. Welcome to the second segment of the podcast, and I have a great treat for you today. I am uh, able to introduce people that are important in my life uh, to Highlands through this podcast. And Miss Jane Baird uh, is our guest today. Miss Jane, thank you for being on the podcast. I'm glad to be here. Okay. Um, for those of you that don't know Miss Jane Baird, and by the way, I'm also at the table with my dear friend David Baird. And we're at Miss Jane's house, and we just enjoyed a, a wonderful lunch. For those of you that uh, may not know uh, who Miss Jane is, uh, her husband was Jim Baird, and for many years he served and they served together. He served as the uh, senior pastor at First Presbyterian Church of Jackson, Mississippi. And my first encounter with uh, Jim Baird was in seminary. And I hadn't been a believer just terribly long, and I had met uh, a PCA minister, and I didn't really understand the magnitude of this until later, uh, named Frank Barker in Birmingham when I was at Auburn. And uh, Frank became a mentor to me, and so I ended up at seminary, and I made my way to First Presbyterian Church, and immediately uh, in my the first worship service where I was there with, with uh, Dr. Baird, immediately I just could feel the dynamism and the true heart for ministry and a kind of um, latent joy underneath. Jim kind of had that, that joy uh, underneath, and I was just riveted, and I loved, I loved his preaching. I loved his storytelling. Um, I was hooked, so I joined First Press and uh, was a part of the Young Adults 
ministry there. David and David and I served, or well, served I guess together in that that ministry. And uh, I I was just telling Miss Jane that when I graduated and didn't have a job, David Baird took me in. I was homeless, and you took me in, David. So uh, thank you for that. All these years later, and uh, it all kind of worked out. But um, anyway. Um, I just can't convey to you how important Jim and Jane Baird are to me because uh, Jim Baird became literally one of the chief encouragers in a ministry uh, way in my life. And I don't remember ever being with him when he was not an encourager. And I'm so grateful and so grateful uh, for the decades and decades and decades of incredible ministry that included the establishment of the PCA, and we've been talking about a few memories here. So, Jane, tell us where you and Jim were from and how y'all met. Jim uh, grew up in New Jersey and in Chicago Heights. He went went to Maryville College in Maryville, Tennessee, which is a little city outside of Knoxville. Pretty place, pretty place, yeah. Which is the most gorgeous area in the world. I'll have to say this one day. uh, Later I went there too, and my roommate was from Townsend. And one day I said to her many years later, uh, where would you like to live? No, at the uh, beginning, right after we uh, graduated, where would you like to live uh, for the rest of your life, or Mm -hmm. where would you like to live? And she said, right here in East Tennessee. <laughs> and I said, thought to myself, I didn't say it, how narrow can one person be? <laughs> but years later, after both of us had traveled the world, and my roommate and her husband stayed in Maryville, Tennessee. How about that? I realized East Tennessee is really the prettiest yeah. area. In That's the world not a too. bad place, is it? <laughs> <laughs> Four seasons, and it is lovely. So you guys were at college together. We were at college. He was a year ahead of me. I had a brown uh, uh, blind date with him. Okay. And uh, he was the only boy I ever dated at Maryville. He was the first Yankee wow. I had ever really <laughs> met. Because you're from, I just learned this. I knew she was from near Atlanta, but what's the name of that little town? The little town is Ackworth. I used to say, I was 32 miles from downtown Riches. Now, Riches was the biggest department store <laughs> yeah. in Georgia and in the South, and we loved it. Yeah. But I was I remember from that little town, yeah. and uh, I did go to. So you, you went on a date, a blind date with a handsome Yankee. With a Yankee. <laughs> and I came back. the ne- I was a senior in high school at the time. He was a big freshman. <laughs> and I, so he was the only one I ever dated at Maryville. Wow, okay. What, what, what were your first impressions of him? He was uh, positive and funny, and I was just like to hear him talk. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so how many years after that blind date was it that y'all got married? Six and a half years. Six and a half years. Was he in seminary at the time? No, no, we, uh, he was Oh, that's right. He, he did something my, uh, before. He, uh, we, we met when he was in college. He graduated a year before me. Then he uh, worked for Armor Paper Company in Savannah, uh, below Savannah. 
uh, St. Mary, Mary's, oh yeah, Georgia. nice. And then uh, he was drafted into the army as a little old private, <laughs> and uh, he went through basic and all that. And he realized that yeah, I was engaged to him by that time, and we realized we couldn't marry on a private salary. Yeah. So he decided to go to uh, uh, officers' training school, even though he knew that it was rather dangerous to be an officer in the Korean War yeah. at that particular time. But for his love for me, he went to OCS. <laughs> he became an officer. We were uh, stationed in uh, Fort Rucker, uh, wow. Georgia, which is in South Alabama. Yeah, can I just stop you? This is why I love this podcast. I've never heard any of this. This is oh. so great. So y'all were in Fort Rucker. And uh, so he was training soldiers and was very bored with it. And just for uh, extra uh, enjoyment, he decided to go out for the uh, football team that the uh, different uh, battalions had. Yeah. So he uh, went out for it, uh, and uh, the next week he was called in by the, the general uh, of the battalion, and uh, Jim wondered, what in the world have <laughs> I done? And the uh, general said, you are the next coach. Uh, and Jim wondered why, and he said that uh, the coach had resigned and was resigning. He had so many points, and he was getting out of the service, even though it was in the Korean War. Yeah. And uh, he, Jim was the coach because he was the only officer. Well, and I'll, I'll tell you, Jane, um, he was a leader of men, too. Mm -hmm. He had a natural leadership about him. I can see why. Somebody would say to him, you're the next coach. Well, he uh, that kept him from going to uh, Korea, uh, two years okay. uh, coaching. And then he learned to, he had, of course, he had to work for the Army on the other side, too. And he uh, uh, lectured. And okay. he learned how to speak mm -hmm. and keep the attention mm -hmm. of soldiers. He knew that they weren't interested in hearing him, mm -hmm. so he had to make it interesting. Yeah. And we had a lovely time in the service and enjoyed going to uh, the chapel there and uh, had yeah. wonderful friends, Christian friends, um, and uh, all. So... You know, my mother, um, we were talking earlier, I, I was an Air Force brat, my mom looks back on those years in the military. She liked it. Yeah, oh, as well. I did too. Mm -hmm. And Jim considered, and the only reason we didn't stay in the service was that he hadn't been to West Point, and he thought at the time he'd never be a general. So why? <laughs> <laughs> why go? There you go. So, he, so he how did he out. get to the ministry? Well, we uh, got out of the ministry, and I went to my hometown. The military, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, out of, uh, I got out of the military and uh, went to my hometown because my mother was sick and uh, my hmm. father really needed my help. And Jim went to work for uh, New York New York Life Insurance Company. Yeah. And was in working in that, and we were involved in my little church, and he was teaching the junior, uh, junior highs, uh, in Sunday school, and just we were just. Enjoying just small town and all. Minding and, your uh, own business. Yeah. <laughs> and um, one time, the uh, a minister, uh, the uh, uh, minister, not the minister, the uh, Sunday school teacher of the men's department was sick, and they said, ask Jim to come down and teach it. And it was on Isaiah about uh, uh, who will call, uh, what is it, the, chapter 5? 
who will go for us? Who, yeah. Lord, send me. Send me. And uh, uh, Jim was teaching that. And when he was through, this man came up to him and said, you are called into the ministry. And Jim said, oh, I'm not surely. Well, a week or so later, he, Jim went to a, a baccalaureate service. Our little town had the baccalaureate yeah. for the whole city. And this minister uh, preached for the seniors in high school. And Jim left there thinking, Lord, there's more this minister needed to say to these children than what he said. <laughs> it, he didn't say it. And he, he said it was like the Lord speaking to him said, well, why don't, why don't you learn to yeah. say, to, uh, teach them and say that? Yeah. And Jim came home and told me he thought he was called into the ministry. And he said, but I don't think it'll be years well, this was in May, and we he went in September. Wow. I stayed, at, and my father's mother had died, at, but I stayed there, and I, we had a six-month-old son by that time, Jim, and I taught school. Okay. So I taught there two years before, and then I called the, the uh, principal and said, I need a job again. And he said, come on back. <laughs> okay, now, I, you tell a story. You know, we talk behind your back. I don't know if you know that. David loves to tell stories, because I, I want to hear them. <laughs> and so I'm going to pass the microphone. Tell the story about him being called. And, and oh, okay. okay, so here's, here's a great story. Okay, he, he goes to the baccalaureate service, and he's walking home, and he's saying, that guy needed to, he didn't preach well. He should have said something. Why didn't he say this? And out of the blue, he, Dad says that uh, the Lord said, why don't you do it? And so he got called to the ministry, and he's walking home because it's, you know, Aqua small town. You walk everywhere. And um, Mama Jane miss, uh, did not go because she has a little six-month-old baby. So she was on the porch, and as Jim was walking back, he said, uh, the only – the only Christian that I know is my wife, Jane. I'm going to ask her, should we go to the ministry? Can I, should I go to the ministry? And if she says no or maybe or let's sleep on it or let's pray about it, anything except yes, I'll just forget about it. And uh, so he walks up to the porch, and she's on the front porch and says, uh, Honey, you're not going to believe this, but I'm called to the ministry. I have to go to the seminary. And Miss Jane says, whenever you're ready, I'm ready. Now, Jane, I got to tell you, that was an important moment for a lot of people, including myself, <laughs> because of how much I love y'all. That's a great, that's a great story. So, now, Jane, uh, y'all then go to seminary, and then there's this incredible uh, church, you know, time with churches and there are people like in Gaston, Alabama, that still have such a reverence for you and Jim. So many PCA ministers came out of that um, that pastorate um, that that we all know. That's just amazing. But not just there. Name some of the places where where you guys. And if you can do the order, that's great. If not, um, some of the, the places where y'all were before you got to Jackson. Well, our first pastorate was. Uh, in Clinton at Mount Salus, and we loved it, and they welcomed us and all of our mistakes and all of our uh, uh, everything, uh, and it, we, we had two sons born there, and from there we went to 
Bruton, Alabama. I see. Bruton is in uh, South Alabama. Yeah, right on and the Florida was, line. Uh, and a special place, too. And those people loved us, too. And it was a very happy time there. Then from there, we went to Gadsden. Okay. We Gadsden for about nine years. First Presbyterian Church, Gadsden. Mm-hmm. And Alabama, that was right. Where really, a fantastic ministry took place uh, with our Baptist minister, uh, John Haggai. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He was the one that came and preached there for 17 days straight. Wow. And uh, it it was absolutely fabulous. And then had a fabulous uh, uh, song leader, too, that was just an opera singer that had become a a Christian. In Little Gaston, Alabama. uh (laughs) And uh, it really is still ringing of that. Then from there, we went to Macon. Making Georgia. It was fun for me to be back in my home state. Yeah. And it, we were on Highway 75 going down to Orlando. So we. And by the way, that was First Presbyterian Church Macon. The, uh-huh. They are these are these are large churches. These people are pastoring now. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're 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 in these large churches. Yeah. So where you were where, you were on the highway going where? I'm sorry, Jane. Uh, we were on uh, Highway 75 going from Atlanta. To, uh, through Macon down to Orlando to uh, Disney World. Uh-huh. And we had a lot of visitors. We never had anybody come see us in Macon. Uh, I mean, in uh, uh, Mount Salus when we were there, or in Gadsden, uh, or in Bruton. But, boy, we had them come see us there and stop, and we loved it. And oh. I had a family, too, in St. Simon's. And so that was good. Okay. And then I had a sister and husband who and he was a minister also in uh, Knoxville. So the yeah. highway was easy to get to. Yeah. Uh, to Macon. Okay. So the next stop is kind of exotic, in my exotic, opinion. Exotic. I, I only went there kicking and screaming uh, as a missionary. And that place was. It was uh, Miami, which turns out to be <laughs> Carl Gables, yeah. and a, a, an exotic, lovely place with wonderful people. And the nice thing there, everybody was on the same level. Uh, you didn't know, you either wore a black hat or a white hat. There was no in-between. Yeah. And the houses were not fabulous because yeah. Florida houses aren't. Yeah. So yeah. no one lived in a mansion. Yeah. And uh, but we lived in a pretty nice. Uh, yes, you home. did. Hey, by the way, I went to uh, Jim and Jane's home when um, Peggy and Bob Austinson, who followed them, I don't know, right after or maybe two after. Before and after. Before and after. Okay, that's right. That's right. Um, and so I went to the house, and it was a great house. And Carl Gables is beautiful. It is. Well, we love the people, and it was interesting that only very few were native, uh, and it was Miami. Miami. If yeah. you were a Miamian, you, you talked about Miami. Yeah. Most there was a southern kind of ness, southernness about that city back right. then. Uh, and everyone else, were uh, they were passing through. <laughs> and when you had out-of-town company come to see you, the whole congregation rallied. They oh. brought you food. They entertained you. They were just the most hospitable people. Mm. That's a that's a beautiful church. I went and saw the church. It's called Granada mm-hmm. Presbyterian Church. Right. Uh, all of these churches. I've never been to Bruton, but all these churches are just beautiful mm-hmm. churches. So one day, uh, Jim agrees to come to the the final church, and for I don't know how long y'all were here. It was a long time. Well, when he <coughs> decided. He felt really called to come here 
to First Church Jackson. And I only again came kicking and screaming by that time. And this is I a had, theme in your life, Jane, <laughs> kicking and screaming. I had loved being where I was. But uh, Jim said, don't you want to come back south? And uh, your boys and all are, are up this way. And so anyway, we came and I have loved it. And I, yeah. I, the Lord has really blessed us both. And it's been a, a wonderful time. Well, I, I tell you, just for me personally, the fact that y'all were here when the Lord brought me here for training, it mattered. Uh, and it's not just uh, Dr. Baird. Um, I was telling Jane, I said, I don't expect you to remember because you had a lot, did a lot of entertainment. But I went to their house uh, three or four times after church, and uh, they've got four boys, and that, that was not a quiet house. It was a fun house. You know, you guys really had a relaxed atmosphere. Jane was in charge, large and in charge. You did a great job of hostessing. Um, everybody that knows you uh, knows that about you. You are, I mean, you're an incredibly delightful person, Jane. Thank you. <laughs> and, and, and I will say a very strong person. Uh, I, I couldn't remember her. Yeah, David just gave the thumbs up. I couldn't remember her, her maiden name. You know, uh, Jim Baird is a Scottish name. And I said, you're a Scott. What was your? Macmillan. And, and I'm a McRae. So uh, you can definitely see some, some good Scott uh, stock coming out in Jane Baird. So how long, how long have y'all been here? What, what year was that when y'all came? We came in 84. Okay. Uh huh. Wow. And Jim retired in '94. In and I came in '85. Mm -hmm. So I did not know that until mm -hmm. right now that that Jim had only been here a year. Uh -huh. And this is our very first home that you're in that we've ever owned and had. Wow. Uh, we've always lived in a manse. Yeah. And uh, so by the time we were able to, one time I said to Jim, uh, toward the end of his ministry, "Well, if you were to." Dial real quickly. You want me to spend three months with David and three months with Mark and, and your dad? And uh, Jim said, I don't believe so. So we started looking for a place, and we found this area and place. It's a beautiful place, Jane. And we really do. I'm looking out over a lake, and there's a golf course back there. It's really beautiful and some good shade trees, which today happens to be important to have some shade trees. Uh -huh. Um yeah, and uh, there have been many uh, young ministers' wives that have really looked to you. Being the wife of the pastor of First Pres, Jackson, put you in a place where you were, you would, y'all, the fishbowl was very clear, the walls were very clear, you could see into it. Well, I did not mind a fishbowl because growing up in a small town, in a small church, everybody knew yeah. everything about me anyway. You know, I'm from a small town and the whole town's a fishbowl. Right. That's right. a good point. I, I was telling something about um, one of my cousin's family, <laughs> and uh, uh, Rhonda said, I guess they knew everything about your family, too. <laughs> and I said, I'm quite sure they did. When I tried to get in some mischief in Quincy, Florida, my mother knew about it before I got home. Yeah, <laughs> you know, right. so, um, uh, One but, thing I want to say, though, I, I enjoyed being a minister's wife. I really did. Yeah, that's that, that's clear. It was because I enjoyed being a Christian. Because mm -hmm. as a Christian, I, you join the church and you are to be a part of the ministry in it. Yeah. You're to go, to be a symbol, you're to give, and you're to serve. Yeah. And I, I grew up with that, and it was very yeah. easy to carry through. And that is what... Every minister's wife, she doesn't have to be the leader 
And I've never been Didn't have to play the piano or the organ? No, I never. I told Jim when he went in the ministry, I said, I don't play the piano. I don't sing in the choir. And I really don't teach the Bible. But uh, I, I still am a part of the ministry. And I, yeah. I think every minister's wife should be a real part of it and just find her niche as a Christian, not yeah. at the preacher's and Because we're all a part of the, the kingdom. We're all a part of the body of Christ. We right. all have our gifts. Right. You know, at Highlands, when we um, call ministers, we, we, we we're very clear to say, we don't expect your, your wife to play the piano and do all this, but if she could just use her gifts and be exemplary as a member mm-hmm. and just love her family. Right. And we've really been blessed with the women that we've had there. And that's kind of what you're saying, because you really took care of your family, too. Well, A I big did, family. <laughs> i tell you one thing I did, and I just challenge every minister's wife to do this. And it's so hard for that minister's wife to do it. But if you do it, you really come up to enjoy it. And that is to go out and stand with your husband after he has preached. And the reason I say that is they see that a husband and wife are together. Okay. Even through uh, after he has preached, you're going to love him and take him home and feed him. <laughs> and maybe let him take a nap. But, and you're there to do it. The nurture right? and care and of the nurture, pastor. Right. Being but people see, say they are a couple. And uh, I just yeah. encourage, but it's hard for a wife to get up. And to go out. Yeah, especially if they have little children at the time, you know, with running around. Mm-hmm. Um, I was talking with a friend of mine, one of my best friends from the church we served in Tuscaloosa that we started. His name is Bill Brubaker. He teaches at the law school at University of Alabama. And I was riding down the road and, and heading toward Tuscaloosa, and I thought, I'm going to talk to Bill. And he said something interesting, and I want to kind of end our podcast by telling you this and maybe asking you, and David, you're welcome to chime in too, But he said, Joseph, he said, I've been reading some things and I've been thinking back. And he said, you know, the the early 80s were really a time of God's right hand. And there was, the Holy Spirit was really, he's always doing a lot through church history. But I, I agree with him that that particular period in churches was an exciting period, about right when y'all came here, you know. And, um, and he said, you know, Joseph, I just saw people that didn't know Christ coming to Christ. Their lives were being changed. And, um, and he and I both were saying, okay, Lord, uh, bring revival to your church. You know, one of the things that I share in common with your husband and, and your husband, um, Jim, being a part of this and Frank Barker being a part of it is I share a love for personal evangelism. Uh, every time, well, almost every time I preach, I, I have a, an opportunity for folks to come to know Christ right there and then. And I learned that from, from um, Frank, and I learned that passion for ministry and for outreach from your husband. So, you know, you and Jim were, were really leaders, and you in your own way, Jane, uh, during a really interesting and wonderful time in the history of the church, and, um, and I'm asking the Lord to, to do that again, and maybe even more so. I want to be a part uh, Well, I do want to add this. Jim loved me, and I loved him all the way through this, through the good and the bad, the old and the young times, <laughs> sickness and uh, ill health. But uh, 
and that's important to mm. keep your love going, yeah. uh, uh, husband and wife, whether yeah. you're a preacher or not, but it is yeah. so important yeah. for men to tr uh, treat their wives like queens as also as their best friend. And you know that wife will treat him like a king, <laughs> and also she will melt. It doesn't take a lot for a man to melt a wife. Uh, I, so I can feel some Ephesians 5 seeping into that conversation about <laughs> loving your wife like Christ loved the church mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the wife wanting to follow her husband. Right. Um, well, I tell you, Jane Baird, you are very easy to love. Oh, thank you. And I love you dearly. And David, you are too, man. You know I love you as well. Um, this is really special. Jane, thank you for, for letting me interview you today and being on the podcast. Well, I enjoyed it. Thank you. Welcome to the third segment of the podcast, Joseph's Pocketful of Vision. And I am got a handful of vision for you, and it's really just about being in the body of Christ and spiritually and in our walk with the Lord it requires for us to actually share our needs with others in the body because whether it's a sickness we're going through or even whether it's something happy that we can have people praise the Lord with us or the encouragement that we need, how will they know if we don't share? And if you don't share with the body of Christ, which is built for the one another commands, how can we come alongside and lift you up? And so a part of our spirituality and growth in Jesus is the humility to express need and also to express what's going on in our lives so that we can encourage one another, pray for one another, and rejoice with one another. Don't live isolated in silence. Share your need, your lives, your victories, and your defeats. This is your pocket full of vision. Thank you.